This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Hello and welcome back. I'm Kent Smethers, professor here at the Wharton School, and you're listening to your own Monday Business Radio Series XM. And if you want some advice about what to do with your money, want to know how to save it, invest it, insurance, get in the will, really anything about your money, that's the show's name. Live on Tuesday, so grab that phone. Give me a call here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. Go back to the phone lines in just a minute here. Welcome back to the show. It must be his eighth or ninth time. Lost track here is Ara Agorian, who's the founder and president of ACAP Asset Management in Los Angeles, which he founded in two thousand nine. But he has twenty six years of experience in the financial services industry in total. A degree from uh, San Francisco State University in Finance and is also a commissioned bank, bank examiner through the Federal Reserve Board of Governors. And it says in his bio he enjoys playing tennis, traveling, going to the beach, opera, and spending time with his family. We get to spend time with our families here on the East Coast. This other stuff is just too hot and humid right now. We're very jealous. Ara, thanks for coming back on the show. Thank you, Kent. It's great to be back. And if you have a question for our myself, give us a call again here at one eight four four Wharton. That's one eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. All right. Before going back to the phone lines, just remind us a little bit about your your uh, uh, firm. And if you have a tough local client, what's here you like? Sure, I'd be happy to describe them. Um, so we are basically a hybrid type firm. We are like most of your firms, fee only. We're hybrid in that we are not only a financial planning firm, a fee-only financial planning firm, but we're also a CPA firm. And what makes us really unique is that we focus entirely on the healthcare market. So over 95% of our clients are physicians, nurses, people that work under the umbrella of healthcare. Those are our primary clientele. Excellent. And again, speaking, our Igorian, founder and president of ACAP Asset Management in Los Angeles. It's been on the show many times, great, doing a great job. You don't uh, answer a question, you don't have to be a physician or in the medical industry to give us a call. He does a great job answering all, all sorts of questions, but especially if you're in the healthcare industry, now is particularly a good time to call. You have special things that go on for you. Again, uh, 1-844-WARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Let me go to Bobby calling from Illinois. How can I help you, Bobby? Hey, how's it going? Great. Taking my call. So how can we help you? Yeah, I'm looking. um, I'm a recent uh, college grad trying to start saving, but also uh, management managed down that uh, college debt. I'm just looking for some advice for uh, starting that uh, saving and investing. Yeah. So do you have a job right now? Do you got a 401k? Tell me some more. Yeah, I'm working full time uh, with the 401k, um, about $60,000 a year. Good. And does your employer offer uh, some type of match inside the 401k? Yeah, they, uh, I believe, match uh, 2%. 2%, okay. Yeah, there's a chance, there's a good chance it's a little bit more than that. But, um, yeah, yeah it just, it's, it's, uh, but, you know, it's usually 3% or a bit more than that, uh, all, all the way up to 6 7%. Okay, so uh, and if you start contributing to that 401k? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I am... Uh, Max, maxing it out. Maxing it out or just getting the maximum match? 
getting the getting the, the maximum max. Yeah. Okay, okay, because you can you know max it out at you know over eight, eighteen thousand five hundred dollars at at your age and at sixty thousand dollars a year, uh, possible. You know, I've, we've had a lot of younger people on the show do, uh, do that, um, but I, we always want to uh, distinguish uh, between the two. And, and so, tell me about the variability of your income. How is it pretty safe, or is it fairly variable? Uh, pretty safe and steady, uh, bi-weekly uh, uh, paycheck. Okay. And if you set up a little emergency account for yourself? Yeah, yeah. So. yeah. How much is that? Um, it's just starting to grow, um, putting in a couple hundred bucks each paycheck. Sure. So so it sounds like you probably want to grow that uh, over time. What's your monthly expenses? Uh, roughly 1600 Okay. So, okay. Uh, good. And so, we'll, uh, including, including like the loan payments and rent. Okay. So, to, uh, to, so now let's talk about the loans. Uh, how much are we talking about student debt and uh, roughly speaking, ballpark the interest rate? Uh, roughly, it's thirty three thousand in total loans. Um, variable anywhere between um, four and seven percent. Okay. And then just started a car loan as well, totaling around twenty five thousand. Wow. Okay. And uh, what's the interest rate on that one? That's around seven. Seven percent. Okay. All right. So you got yourself some. Definitely got yourself some debt here, and so that it sounds like what you're really trying to figure out is kind of prioritization. So you'd be, you know, doing doing more toward retirement or paying down these debts here, and it sounds like. Um, you're doing enough to um, uh, it, it cover your, your your monthly expenses. You have a little money left over, and try, you're already getting at least employer match. Uh, we'll make that assumption. Uh, emergency account sounds like you're still working on that. So it really comes down to uh, after the emergency account, should you be putting more money um, into uh, paying down debt or investing more for the future? So, are your thoughts? So my thoughts would be um, for Bobby, for you to open up a Roth IRA, you can start piling in that emergency cash money into your Roth IRA. And the benefit of that is not only will you be able to grow it tax-free, but you can also take out any contributions you made into that Roth IRA. So it does serve as a mechanism for you to use as an emergency if you ever need it, but you're also able to bank in years into the Roth IRA, whereas if you'd already passed April 15th deadline, you can't go back and uh, backfill for a prior year. Regarding your student loans I, and your and your car loan, I would catalog all the loans that you have. And what I mean by that is really list out all the different loans, what the interest rates are, and then come up with a uh, a payment strategy so you can start paying off the higher interest rate ones first. Seven yeah. percent on a car loan and a student loan is a little bit high, so I would I would make a plan to start aggressively pay those down. And if you Google snowball effect or avalanche effect credit card debt you'll get a lot of results on excel spreadsheets on how to catalog that debt and how to come up with a, uh, a payment strategy to pay those down yeah no i think it's it's a great advice so bobby in, in particular certainly the first highest priority here is on the emergency loan side of things. We typically don't like, you know, people dipping into the retirement accounts and so forth for things like emergencies. But as Ara points out, this is one of those exceptions. In, in particular, if it was a cho- if you're already going to focus on 
get an emergency account, and plus, given that you're doing an emergency, you need an emergency account, and the next highest priority is paying down this debt because you've already done the employer match. You've already gotten kind of the free money. Then a Roth actually makes a lot of sense in this case because otherwise you wouldn't even have opened up a Roth. And so it, it provides uh, option value here. On one hand, uh, maybe you don't need it for emergencies, in which case you got yourself a nice little nest egg that's growing um, you know, uh, tax-free over time. You've already paid taxes. You're in a low tax bracket today relative to where you're going to be in the future. So therefore, using your after-tax money today is a, is a great way uh, of building up a Roth and then using uh, using it as an emergency account. And the reason why you can use it as an emergency account is that as long as you're just borrowing against your contributions, not any interest, um, you, in fact, don't owe any penalty on doing that. It's Again, it's not a, in general habit. We like to have people borrowing against their, their uh, retirement accounts, but in this case, it actually works perfectly because you're not going to be otherwise contributing um, to that account. So we'll open up a Roth and uh, we'll use that to build up an emergency account. But it really is coming down to this debt. Um, In other words, don't revisit your 401k right now. You're getting the free money. You're getting a 7% risk-free return through your car loans, through your student debt. That's by far the the most important um, uh, approach here. And there are two strategies for paying down debts. One is called the interest rate ranking. And that is the idea is that you rank by the highest interest rates. So the idea is you pay off the the, the 7% ones first, making the minimum payments on all the other debts, Uh, pay off the 7% as aggressively as possible. And then when that gets paid off, you go into your next highest interest rate. That might be 5, 6%. Make the minimum payments on all the other ones, but you pay off the 5, 6% as aggressively as possible beyond the minimum. Um, that's the rate that's going to save you the most money, and that is the most uh, economically efficient rate. The alternative uh, is this, uh, you know, a snowball approach where you could um, sometimes that the idea is some people interpret that to mean paying off your smallest loan first, regardless of the interest rate. Um, that's that approach becomes useful if you need that psychological win of just feeling like. You know, you, you need a win in the form of paying something off, even if it's not the most economically efficient. And the alternative to debt, to getting that win is you would not pay off the debt otherwise. Um, but so if you really need that psychological win, um, then certainly, you know, get it with a paying off a small, uh, uh, a small debt. But if you really want to optimize and save the most money for the future, it's what Aro referred to is, you know, really tackling those 7% uh, ones first. So again, I think you're, you're, you've already got an employer match. It's great. Now uh, set up the Roth. Use it as your emergency account. Again, don't give that advice very often, but it, makes, uh, it's, it is the best solution right now. Um, build that up over time um, and then uh, pay off that 7%. And then eventually when you get all that those loans pay off, set up a real emergency account. And, uh, and don't think about the Roth anymore as an emergency account. Um, just, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, don't, don't think about it for a large purchase or going on vacation. Really build up an emergency account kind of separate from your retirement accounts, and then you know uh, you're going to be set on bo- all, all your wheels, kind of both paying off debts and, and, and moving for uh, toward toward retirement. Is that helpful, Bobby? Yes, 
Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for coming. Really appreciate it. Uh, speaking again with Ara Agorian, founder and president of ACAP Asset Management, uh, Los Angeles, California, doing a great job as usual, g- giving your uh, answers uh, to your questions. Give us a call here, 11 Tuesday. So grab the phone, give us a call here at 1 844 Wharton. That is 1 844 And let me go to Carol calling from Georgia. How can we help you, Carol? Hi, I have a question. I want to know can you? Max out the 401k at two different employers at the same time. Yeah, so you, you're getting. Yeah, it's a great question, Emmy. Uh, it doesn't happen a lot, but it sounds like you're getting two W-2 forms who are working part-time at, at both employers, and it sounds like they both will allow you to contribute toward their 401k. Correct. Okay. So, Ara, it's a pretty straightforward answer, but uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, answer that, and then uh, we'll come back to Carol. Sure. Unfortunately, you cannot do that. You cannot double dip and put in 18500 into each 401k. However, what I would recommend you do is that you look to see which 401k employer offers you the best matching component yeah. and which offers you the best investment options and max out that 401k. Uh, or if you get a good matching in one 401k but the investment options are not that great and the other 401k offers you better investment options, then max out to the point where you get the matching contribution, and then on the other one, um, uh, do the difference of that 18500 I would also point out that because you have two W-2s, I don't know what your income is going to be, but you may have income above the Social Security limit, which means that you're going to get a tax credit on your tax return because you had overpaid into Social Security for that uh, combined income. Yeah, yeah. Hit it on the head. Those were exactly the points I was going to go for, uh, Carol. So just to summarize, uh, it's it's very firm what the limit is. You can only do eighteen thousand five hundred a year across all four hundred one k's. If that if you could, if you could do it per four hundred one k, then we would essentially have unlimited tax opportunities. Uh, we just set up a lot of four hundred one k's to do that. So the government de- definitely does limit that. But as Ara points out, I mean it may be optimal just to go with one 401k um, if that it means that um, that offers you the best terms. I don't know if both provide some match. What's pretty amazing, by the way, is that if you're a part-time employee in both places, they are both allowing, allowing you to participate. And if they both even give you some match in, uh, as well, then, then um, that would be even more amazing because that's, that's very uncommon. Um, and so uh, you would definitely want to get the match associated with each one. There's a good chance that, though, that if you split up like that, there's a good chance you're not going to get, you know, the maximum match. And so you, if you, um, if you're, you know, just giving too little to both. Now, given that you, you're talking about trying to do 18500 to both, there's a good chance you can tr- contribute um, a lot to both. But that's really for other listeners that if you split up too much, you may not be maximizing anything. Uh, but so it, I, what I would do is, you know, f- figure out which one's the best. Um, and if, again, they both give you a match, then then you're contributing to both. But otherwise, I would actually figure out which, which one is the best. And um, uh, in, in, the, in the idea of uh, investment options, it's usually just to keep it simple. Don't look at you know how many investment options. It really is the types. You, we want low-cost you know, passive index investing. And that is we want keep costs really low. We want in mutual funds that are, um, are cheap, they're broadly diversified. Don't be f- thrilled about, you know, 
all the how many there are, or you know, be you know, attempted to go for ones that happen to do really good um, in past performance. Just look for the low cost, um, a good uh, broadly diver- diversified stock fund, and maybe a, a good broadly diversified bond fund. And as Ara points out, I mean, and this is probably proposed to you, given that you're talking about maxing, you know, both of these, uh, uh, trying to get you know, a lot of money in both 401ks. If you're actually earning um, your combined income is above the Social Security max, you will be overpaying Social Security. It's actually happened to me uh, many times. And so you'll get this credit. Uh, you get the credit actually on the employee side. That is the amount you've overpaid. Um, you don't get it on the employer side. They've actually paid into it uh, for, for you as well. They actually don't get that money back. It's a little glitch in the system there. Um, and so <laughs> that they will, um, and, and in theory, you got you actually are paying for the, the employer side to the Social Security um, through lower wages. They otherwise would have paid you higher wages. So, but nonetheless, you at least get back what you would pay in um, um, extra uh, to the Social Security system. Is that helpful, Carol? Yes, thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, thanks very much for calling. Uh, speaking of the era, Ara Agorian, again, the founder and president of ACAP Asset Management, Los Angeles, California. Uh, live on Tuesdays, love to answer calls here at 1 844 Wharton. That's 1 847 And let me go to John calling from New Jersey. How can I help you, John? Hi, good evening, folks. Um, I have a question with regards to some stock options that I invested through my employer mm. and just curious about the best strategy to go about um, taking advantage of those considering um, looks as if, it looks as though that, um, that, that they do have expiration dates on them and I'm just trying to figure out how I should proceed here. Yeah. So tell me more about these stock options. It sounds like you currently have the options. Do you, these are employer-based stock options, that presumably maybe some qualified, maybe even non-qualified. Uh, but do are you allowed to exercise them now? Is there some cliff associated with them? I mean, tell me more about what your what your options of the options are. There are a vesting schedule, yep. so they are set, and they have ten years to exercise. Um, so if I'm explaining that correctly, yeah, yeah. over a, over a five-year period is how that is how a certain number of shares are vested. And it seems as though every year I'm vested for more and more as I go along. Sure, so yeah. If it's a, I just want to see how I should go along here. Yeah, so it's a very common either four- or five-year kind of vesting schedule. Often there's a one-year cliff, Correct. so you have to be there for at least one year. And then it sounds like their release, it was called releasing of the shares, you know, uh, over five years, uh, roughly, call it 20% a year. Uh, how many years have you been in there? I mean, how many, how many years are we talking about left in the five-year? Um, I have I have some that go as far back as 2010 that I've started accumulating, and, and I have more that are set to vest, um, Starting in two years. Okay, so it sounds like you have quite a bit then that is already vested. And is this a publicly traded company, a private company? Tell me more. It's a publicly traded company. Publicly traded company. All right, so this stuff is already. So let's just focus on the stuff that's already 
um, vested. And it is true, some of it you may be selling it before the expiration date. And you know we know from the Black-Scholes theorem that the maximum value is holding to maturity. That the problem is is that that's in a well-diversified situation. You're talking about company stock here, um, and you're also getting your income from stock. And so that is you know a, a real downside of trying to hold. Uh, uh, to uh, uh, maturity, and so and uh, and it's it, I assume that you would and you're not selling these in the open market to other individuals. You're just you know exercising them uh, today, um, and so it, which would be true, especially um, uh, if employer-based stock options. So, all right, I mean, typically we, we we focus on you know trying to maximize diversification, especially away from company. Based stock that's often where we get our salaries, things like that. Um, and so, being you know, if the company goes south, that often hits our income, our human capital, as well as our retirement and other saving. Um, do you have some kind of rules of thumb that you can use of how to kind of unwind uh, like uh, for the stuff that he's invested in? Uh, is your normal approach just hey, let's just sell it? Well, yeah, that, that rule of thumb still stays true. I think it's a good idea to diversify against your own company stock, especially because of the human capital factor involved yeah. with it. Um, but I think it also depends on the type of stock options you have, whether if it's a truly a stock option uh, or if it's a RSU, which is a restricted stock unit. And the taxation of those is, is very different, and actually the valuation of those is quite different as well. So um, with either one of those that you receive, uh, if you have a, my general rule of thumb is if you have a pretty volatile company that you work for, and there are even some public companies out there that are very volatile, sure. especially in the tech sector, um, I would say try to sell them off sooner as soon as they vest, because you don't want to have that volatility affect your overall wealth, especially if it's a company that may be going south. If it's a more stable company, then if possible, try to hold on to a year to get the long-term capital gains tax treatment. That way, you still get the diversification after a year, but your capital gains taxation is going to be lower than if you sell them within a year and pay ordinary income tax on it. Yeah, and there's a good chance getting as a public trade company that is giving regular old, good old-fashioned options. But suppose that they were RSUs. Uh, how would your thinking uh, vary uh, there? So the benefit of the RSUs, which I like more than the stock options, yeah. is that they always have value. With a stock option, you have, right, you have 10 years to exercise it, but within that 10-year time period, the strike price, which is what you can buy it for, and the market value could be very different, and it could be different not in your favor. Yeah. So let's assume the stock price is $50 a share, what you can buy it for, but the price has now gone down to $30 a share. Now those stock options don't really have any value to you. But with the RSU, it doesn't matter what the stock price is. Well, it does. The higher the stock price, the more compensation you're going to get. But whatever that that strike price is, you're going to get compensation based on that that market value. So they always have value to it unless, of course, the the company goes to zero, which is a different story. Sure. Yeah, RSU is like owning real Real equity in the firm, and it's even if the share price is low, you're still owning some equity, and options really only deliver value relative. Uh, uh, well, when you exercise them relative to the strike price, of course, from an option, you know, pricing formula. I mean, it, it, they have value today, even even if the, the the current price is below the strike price, simply because of the potential for 
the, the, the uh, firm price to increase over time. So, John, I'm, I'm assuming um, these are regular options. And, uh, it, you know, given this information, you know, it does, you know, it tend to bias toward, you know, seeking diversification and um, uh, in, in exercising the options. Um, so if, if, in fact, um, you have some options that are, the where the strike price was was struck. I mean, there, there's a good chance that a lot of those options are actually well into the money, especially some of the older options and so forth. Assuming that your company has been growing over time and so forth, a lot of those options were probably given a fairly low strike price, and and so uh, those are the ones that are going to definitely. Um, deliver a, f- a fair amount of value. Um, at the same time, yeah, there will uh, be some tax treatment um, associated with that potentially, um, and as a result of that, you're going to have to, you know, manage that. You may not want to do all the re- realizations too much in one year in order to boost that because that might uh, bring you to a higher marginal tax rate. But I definitely would be managing this. Um, it just let's just take the scenario very common: the strike price has been increasing over time, growing company. A new options get set at, at, at the money at kind of the current market price and so forth, um, and and so in that case you you probably have a lot of value from those older options uh, with the lower strike price. You know, starting to selling those off, especially um, those have been vested and so forth, and you sell and sell those off. Those could really boost you into a higher tax bracket. So you you might want to be thinking about doing that over several years. But definitely, um, the the the, the rule <laughs> still is, you know, for for the most part, really try to get out of your own company's stock as much as possible. Is that helpful, John? That does help. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks so much for calling. Really appreciate it. And speaking of R.I. Gorian, again, founder and president of ACAP Asset Management. Love to answer your questions here at 1 844 Wharton. That's 1 844 And R, you mentioned that your firm say, you, know, you do a lot of stuff with healthcare professionals, doctors, dentists, nurse, nurses, veterinarians, medical cells, and so forth. You've mentioned the show that you kind of. Uh, Got into that almost by you know fortuitous you know accident in the sense that that is some of your clients early on and it just kind of snowballed from there. You're probably you know, close to UCLA, USC, and the medical practice there and so forth. What are some of the bigger issues that medical professionals face? I mean, uh, why is it why is it so defining of your practice beyond just kind of the um, the the fact that maybe that's where you guys started and it created created word of mouth in the medical community. Well, it, it's a little bit of both. I mean, that's a great question, Kent. And I would say the number one issue our clients face, especially the younger clients, are student loan debt, and mm-hmm. uh, especially someone who's gone to private undergrad and private uh, medical school, they can graduate with you know three four hundred thousand dollars of student loan debt. And their primary concern when they get out or when they're in attending or uh, just a few years out of uh, residency or fellowship is how to uh, how to approach that student loan debt and sometimes how to buy their first home. So we help them with that initial process of helping them um, you know come up with a strategy for their student loan debt and then with a strategy for paying off or buying their first home as well. 
Um, most of our clients, uh, we have we have a lot of clients at Kaiser, at UCLA, at USC, most of the medical training facilities throughout the country. So when we get other clients within those institutions, there's a the learning curve is not as great. So we know immediately what things they should be doing, what benefits they should be signing up for. We're very familiar with all the benefits packages and 401k plans at those institutions. So we can add immediate value for our clients when they come to us and say, I just started at Kaiser. What should I do? So that's where the real value comes to our clients from us. Yeah. And so in the earlier call, are we someone? Uh, it's it was uh, earlier segment where we're talking about borrowing against a four hundred one k, and it, certainly that comes up quite a bit. You know, I have high credit card debts, things like that. Often, as as you work through the issues, you realize that people have capacity within their own earning stream to kind of pay off that credit card debt and not rely on 401k. What do you do? I mean, you often do have these students who are fresh out of school, 500 grand, 600 grand medical school debt. They're um, building up a 401k. They really don't have one. But then a few years down the road, it's just like I can't make things ends meet, especially California. Maybe I should take some of this 401k money back. What do you do? We always discourage borrowing against your 401k plan for a number of reasons or even borrowing from your retirement accounts, uh, especially to use your 401k to pay off your student loan debt. That's that's never a good option. Yeah. Uh, there are instances where we have clients borrow against their 401k to buy their first home um, and also take money out of their IRAs to buy their first home, even though we still discourage that. Sometimes that's their biggest source of down payment for them to do that. And because... Uh, someone's primary home is such an emotional purchase, it's really hard to um, uh, talk someone out of that and let them know that's not a good idea to do, even though financially speaking, it's not the best approach to do. With a student loan debt, it's really case by case. I mean, we really talk to our clients and see what is their their ultimate objective. Sometimes the, the logical financial approach is not always the best case because someone is very debt averse. And if they're very debt averse, then we try to tackle that debt as quickly as possible. Yeah, it is. It is often uh, challenging. It's certainly uh, talking people off the ledge in terms of trying to dip into the four hundred one k, especially when they really see kind of pressing needs right now. Let's take the home case, uh, buying a home. Some cases, yeah, maybe you do need a home because they have having kids and so forth. It, it, a lot of it is really trying to get people to visualize the future, though. I mean, to think about the trade-offs between today and tomorrow, and it's, it's, it's something that's very challenging. What type of exercise do you bring people through? How do you, how do you talk them off the ledge and when they you know, <laughs> want to do a 401k? Not, often it's for something like a home where it's not, you know, it's a little bit more optional. They could probably squeeze it out in an apartment for a few more years. Wouldn't be great, but they could get away with it. Boy, that, that's a really tough one, Kent, because we, we run a number of different scenarios for our clients, and because we also have a tax firm, we also run the tax implications for our clients, so they can see both ends of it, the long-term um, uh, disadvantage from the time value of money, but also the immediate tax impact. And despite those two detriments, you know, again, the home purchase is such a emotionally driven purchase, especially primary residents, that regardless of what the tax bill is going to be, even the penalties, people still do it. Yeah, yeah. And, and then, then finally, then we'll wrap it up and let you go. You know, if one of your clients, uh, employers, offers both a 
401k and a 457 plan. We don't, these don't come up a lot in this show, uh, but how do you distinguish between those? I mean, uh, the 457b plans, you know, really are you know uh, much more state and local workers, um, but that's often hospital systems, things like that. How do you give, give them advice? Oh, that's that's a fantastic question, and uh, that question comes up not as often, but it's an important question yeah. because the 457 is essentially a deferred comp plan. And there are two types of 457. There's a governmental 457 and a non-governmental. If you have a governmental 457 and you leave that employer, it's essentially like a 401k plan. You can roll it over into an IRA, a Roth IRA, or you can roll it over into another type of retirement account. If you have a non-governmental 457 and USC has a non-governmental 457, as does Yale and and I think Stanford University as well, If you have a non-governmental 457 and you leave that company, then that is paid out to you within 90 days, and it's all taxable income. You cannot roll that over unless you go to another institution that has another non-governmental 457. So you have to be very careful before you uh, sign up for that what exactly that you're signing up for. Yeah, uncommon plans, and especially the non-governmental versions. I did not know those other universities offered the non-governmental 457 plans, uh, uh, Penn does not. What's uh, like at Wharton? Yeah, I don't think we do. I'm, I'm, no, I know we don't. So, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> Thanks so much, Ara. Fantastic job. Thanks for, for coming back in the show. And you can find out more about Ara by going to his website, ACAPAM. And, the, and it is A as in Adam, M as in Mary. Again, ACAPAM.com or on my website, KentonMoney.com. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.